strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. You're listening to Women for America, a ministry of Concerned Women for America, the nation's largest public policy organization for women, bringing you biblical perspectives to today's most pressing issues. The following conversation with Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Earl Sears was held at Concerned Women for America's recent Leadership Summit 2023. In November 2021, Winsome Sears shocked the political class. That's right. And won an incredible victory when she became the first woman lieutenant governor of Virginia. <laughs> lieutenant Governor. Winsome Sears is also the first black American, the first naturalized female citizen, and the first woman veteran to ever hold statewide office in the Commonwealth of Virginia. As a Virginian, I was so proud to vote for Lieutenant Governor Sears, and I will never forget the iconic uh, image of Winsome Sears carrying an AR-15. <laughs> the, the Democrats could not wrap their head around a former Marine exercising her Second Amendment rights. That was just befuddled them. Winsome Sears has always blazed her own trail. She lives by her faith. She supports strong families. She stands for life. As Winsome Sears has powerfully said, I believe in the womb that the baby wants to live. Two years ago, Winsome Sears helped turn Virginia red. And perhaps one day, she will become the first black woman to be governor of Virginia. So please help me and welcome Winsome Sears. Glad you got the video, the, the memo this oh, yes. morning on the color. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, we are so excited to have you. And this is the first time we've gotten to do something together, although we've been together at many occasions. And you always look great. Well, so do you. But what most people don't know is that 22 years ago, when I first ran, I ran for the House of Delegates, and none other than Phyllis Schlafly. Oh. <laughs> Yes, supported me, and yeah. I have a photo in my album of oh. the two of us. Well, those, those we've often said, and we recognize here at CWA, that we stand on the shoulders of the incredible women oh, yeah. that came before us, certainly Phyllis Schlafly sure. and our founder, Beverly LaHaye. I mean, we're just, these women, you know, there was really, for our young ones, you need to understand, there was no national platform yeah. for conservative women mm -hmm. before they were the ones to step forward and lead. And, um, it, <laughs> and I don't think everybody, even no, among their own yeah. movement, loved them for it. And certainly the left didn't love them, no. but they were so brave. Well, I tell you, having started the way that we did this morning, we'll be just fine. That's <laughs> we will be just fine because we understand who's in charge Amen. ultimately. Amen. 
Well, I'd love for you to tell everyone, your story is incredible. And I'd love for you just to start out, and we have a lot of our Young Women for America leaders mm. here that may not be familiar with it. And so I'd love for you to share it, if you wouldn't mind. Oh boy, where do I start? So I guess you start at the beginning. And it started with my dad coming to America in 1963, just what, 17 days before Dr. King gave his I Have a Dream speech and he came from Jamaica to restart his life. And he came, as you heard then, at the height of the civil rights movement. And things were bad for us at the time. And so I asked my father, why did you come then? And he said, you know, there were real dog whistles, right? And he said, because this is where the jobs and the opportunities were. And so he only came with $1.75 in his pocket, took any job he could find, used that money to put himself through school and started his American dream. And then, of course, uh, he came and got me when I was six years old. And, and I gotta tell you, it's, it's been an amazing journey. And has it been all, you know, a bed of roses? Right. No, but we were never promised that. But here I am, second now in command of the former capital of the Confederacy. So, for those who say things haven't changed, they have an agenda. And we're not gonna listen to them because I could not have gotten here unless the Lord had done this. You know, I think I did hear the KKK, they, they accused you of being a member of the KKK, right? <laughs> yeah, they called me a white supremacist, they called me everything. It's just, yeah, you know, when, when they can't defeat you, they try to, you know, label you. But it's all right, because I'm the one who carried the bill that protected us from the KKK when the 50-year-old law was deemed unconstitutional in Virginia. So um, the KKK, they're very upset with me. <laughs> the left and the KKK. You've got all the right enemies, though, let me just say. <laughs> and hopefully they also the picture of you with the AK-15, AR-15. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they, you know, these, these folks are just outright crazy. But I gotta tell you, if, there is, if there's some kind of violence out there, they sure are gonna be running to those of us who have the means to protect them, you know? Yeah. We, we recognize the importance of the good guys having guns, right? Yes. Um, so, I, and you are a woman of deep faith. So can oh, yeah. you share a little bit of how, how that, your faith journey and how that's impacted where you are now? Well, the thing about this that we have to realize is, is that this life isn't all that there is. There is another life that's coming and that's eternity. And that's what really matters. And, and so that's what drives me because, you know, out of the same mouths that people praise you, they turn against you, exactly. And so the praises of men, we understand, are fleeting. So we have to at least, you know, face the lions. It's what we have to do. And I gotta tell you this story. We were praying uh, at the Commonwealth Prayer Breakfast, maybe 3,000 people were there this coming, uh, well, for the past session, January uh, of this year. And the members of the cabinet were there, the, the, the governor, the attorney general, myself, the members of the state Supreme Court, uh, just everybody else just packed 3,000 about. And my job was to pray for the executive branch. 
and 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 as I was thinking about it, you know, the Lord said to me, "Pray in my name," and because you know it's supposed to be all-encompassing, ecumenical, and I and I thought, but I can't do that, you know. We've got all these other things here, and then I heard very clearly, "If you are ashamed of me yeah. before men." then I will be ashamed right. of you before my father. That's right. And folks, that thing went right through me, and I got up there, and I said exactly that, and somebody way in the back laughed. I mean, a huge laughter. And I said, no, no, I will accept that as holy laughter. Yes. <laughs> Amen. So, yeah, we, we do what we do because we know that it's right, even if they kill us, we still win. That's right. We read the end of the book, right? That's we know how right. it all ends. Yeah, we read it all the way to the maps, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, I have, I, I said during COVID, and there was, of course, so many sad, horrible lessons learned during the pandemic. And um, some of it was what happens when you lock up school children. Mm -hmm and the depression and, you know, the, I mean, rates of suicide and the, you know, I think the, the CDC put out a study uh, a few months ago that said about 25% of young women considered suicide, had more than that, they kind of had planned it, suicide ideation. Mm. And there was this rise, in, so it was depression in all of young people and, um, I mean, certainly not everyone, but the vast majority, and it was violence in young men mm -hmm. that rose. Mm -hmm. And we know that they, they crept uh, sadly sometimes to the dark corners of the internet, and they had to be on the internet because that's how they were mm -hmm. supposed to be going to school if they were. Many of them weren't, and we see the numbers that now to support that. Um, and so we have an entire generation that's been deeply impacted because of the shutdowns and because of, you know, everything that happened. But I, I, and I said at the time, you know, I think this is going to be a game changer on the issue of education. Mm. I think this is the time, and I honestly believe it is absolutely now or never in which we give parents school choice. That's right. This is the time. Because now they saw, you know, the blinders are off. And I think you had a lot of great parents that were comfortable in the public school system and really didn't know what was happening, yeah. but then it was in their kitchen. Yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, it's not COVID that shut the schools down. It's COVID policies right. that shut the schools down. Because we saw that, for example, the governor of South Dakota, she didn't shut our schools down in the way that we did here in Virginia. Neither the governor in Florida, neither the governor in so many of the other Republican-led states. They did not their, shut their schools down. And so the learning loss in those states is not as bad as those states that did. And I remember when we were trying to reopen our schools here in Virginia, this was before our time, we were told that we were racist because we were trying to kill black children. Yes, this is the nonsense that the other side I mean, puts forward. As a, a person who lives in Virginia, I can tell those that don't live in Virginia and are from free states like Texas and Florida, <laughs> under because because it was a Democratic mm -hmm. governor and an entire regime before yes. uh, Glenn Youngkin and you won and Jason Meares, 
And um, we weren't even allowed to be out on the beach unmasked. Think about how completely insane that is. And way after people had caught on to the fact that kids were not really in danger unless they had a, you know, a special situation, they still clung to the idea that they had to shut it down and the teachers union was running the show. Yeah, and what we know is that the private schools were open five days a week for more than a year while the public schools were closed in Virginia. And so I asked one of the headmasters when I visited the private school, Did, didn't you all get COVID? And he said, yes. But what we did was we sent the child home, we sprayed everything down, and we continued because we don't get paid to be shut down. We're a business. Because I wondered, you know, was the COVID so smart that it didn't go to private schools, just public schools? None of it made any sense. And COVID's I think, racist. Yeah. And, 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 you know, considers income levels and whatever else, you know, and... Neighborhoods. It's, none of it made any sense, folks, and I think that's why we won, because we came with the common sense ideas. And look, you can talk about party loyalty all you want, but when you talk about my child, all bets are off. And Democrats, enough Democrats and independents decided, no, you're not gonna keep my child home, you're not gonna you know, shut my business down, which they did. I heard people committed suicide because they lost their business. They lost their 401Ks because they had to go into them. They shut down our houses of worship. They were, what they were doing was telling us how we were going to worship. They were telling us how we were going to conduct our business and which businesses were essential because the other thing they did was they shut down mom and pop stores but kept the big box ones open. Yeah. Folks. And the liquor stores. Liquor stores look, were all open. And you well, know. Remember now, in Virginia, the government controls the liquor. And so yes, the ABC stores are at least a $600 million cash cow. They are not going to shut the liquor stores down. And so there were some spirits abound, yes. <laughs> People were drinking their sorrows. Yeah, they probably, that, that revenue probably went up during that time. But, you know, I mean, it, we can, I, I mean, I think the entire state, the Commonwealth of Virginia, I mean, everybody was depressed. Everyone was sad. And that, of course, was all over the country. And the people that could afford it went to other states, you know, either to live or to visit. I know I was in and out of Florida as much as I possibly could be. Oh, not just you. Governor Pritzker of Illinois sent his family to Florida. But shut uh, Illinois down. Yeah, AOC went to Florida as well. And remember, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan told everybody they had to shelter in place, except she went up by her lake with the rest of the people. And remember Governor Newsom of, Flo of uh, California, uh, what did he do? Tell everybody, no, you had to be in your house and, and not socialize until we found out he was at the restaurant yeah. at what, uh, $2,500 or something a plate with his friends having a good old time. And then we saw our good friend, Nancy Pelosi, at our hairdresser okay, unmasked. Okay, too far. Remember I mean, that? I kind of get that one. <laughs> Unmasked. <laughs> we draw the line there. That's and then essential. we saw Dr. Fauci unmasked. So this is what we're saying, laws for thee, but not for me.
That doesn't work. This is America. Yeah, and I think we ought to be concerned. And of course, you know, I think we even learned some things about our own churches, right? Mm. There were some churches and some pastors that were in no hurry to open back up. And, you know, I even experienced that. And then there were some churches that, you know, grew because they took a stand. And you got to wonder, like, if it was this mask mandate that was the thing that kept you from meeting, Mm. can you imagine real persecution? Like, you're going to totally buckle under. So sorry, I'm moving on to a church I know I can count on. Well, yes, this is the test case, is it not? And it is time, I guess, that we experience what the rest of the world has been experiencing. You know, we've had it very easy in America because, you know, we, we, we were birthed in Christ. Remember that city on a shining hill? Remember when the Plymouth, uh, when, when the, folk, the Puritans landed at Plymouth Rock before they got off the boat, they signed that Mayflower Compact. And what did they say? It starts this way, in the name of God, amen. That's how it begins. Amen. And then when Christopher Newport planted his cross right here, by the way, this was before Plymouth Rock. We were first. Um, he planted the, the cross in the name of God, amen, near Virginia Beach, what is now known as Virginia Beach. So this is how we start now. We haven't always been what we should be, but I'm not, and neither are you, right? But slowly we've become the people who we're supposed to be, and we're being perfected. Uh, We are not perfect, folks. That happens after we pass on. Amen. We're becoming a more perfect more union. More perfect union. And I hope we can continue to grow. This experiment. I love, I went to an event, and you were talking about educational savings account and educational reform. And I'd love for you to talk about that. And, and you know, you talked about the red lines. So I'd love for you to share your thoughts on that. So we understand that education is important. It's what lifted my father out of poverty when he only came with $1.75. It's what lifted me out of poverty because I have to find my own way in this world. It's what will lift us all out of poverty. And we know education is foundational. From K through 12, we absolutely must know what our children are learning. They must be given uh, the three R's in science and technology and all that in order to succeed. I mean, we want them out of the house. We love you all, but yes. <laughs> and they've got to support us on social That's security, right. too. <laughs> so, no, but we have to fight for our children because they cannot fight for themselves, and we don't want it to be asked of us later on, what did you do to ensure that I had a good education so that I could have a hope in the future? And by the way, so that we can, in America, remain the number one superpower and not China, which is number two. So. Redlining is what we experienced as black people. And uh, actually, all of us who were poor, if you lived in a certain neighborhood, you were caught up in that red line too. And it was by zip code, of course, this is your school and this is your only school unless you can afford to live elsewhere. And there were so many other things that, you know, Brown versus Board of Ed, this I call this new education fight is the new Brown versus Board of Ed. And what we want as parents is to be able to decide where our children should attend school. Folks, when did that become controversial? 
These are our children. These are not the state's children, not yet anyway. And Amen. Yes, and we are going to do what's best. And we're not asking you, we're telling you, the government, that this is what we want. So we've got to elect people who believe the same. You saw in Chicago, for example, you know, like the hypocrisy. You saw in Chicago the, the union uh, parent there. What did she do? She put her child in private school and told everybody else, no, you, you, you can't have that choice. And now she's trying to finesse it by saying, well, she's got two children in public school. Yeah, but you've got one in private school. How about letting all of us have that opportunity? And then Randy Weingarten, the AFT president, American Federation of Teachers president, she believes in choice of some sort because she has a charter school herself. Has a charter school while in Virginia we can't even get any because the Democratic establishment and the teachers unions won't let us do that. So, you know, when we put forward our own ESA bill, education and savings accounts, which you know are just like the AHSAs, we couldn't get any Democrats to vote for it. And yet, some of them, believe it or not, put their children in private school. Now, folks, and they're public school teachers. So if you go to a restaurant and you find out the chef doesn't eat there, well, I'm not eating there either. So if you're a public school teacher and you put your child in private school, I want to know what you know that you don't even have faith and the people who pay you. You decide that your children deserve a different education. So we're gonna keep fighting for that. We're coming back next year, January, when the session starts, and we're gonna fight until we get it. Everybody has to vote. Yes. If you want change, you've gotta vote for the people to support your position. And why, oh why? Does the, does the state think the money, the taxpayer money, should go to them instead of the parent who knows that kid, loves that child, knows what's best for them, can't choose a Christian school or a Catholic school or a Jewish day school, or maybe it's another public school but in another zip code? Why does the state think that it should be a system for teachers and system for the bureaucracy, but not for parents and not for children. Yeah, I mean, how dare the government stand in the way of me trying to do what's best for my child? How dare? And so we've got to get away from uh, these, you know, the people who would continue to divide us because I kept hearing that, well, you know, black parents don't want that. Folks, black parents are the fastest growing segment of homeschoolers. The facet, no, yes. So what are we gonna say about that? And we had so many parents from public housing who we brought forward to the education committee who said, we want choice. And in fact, some of them were democratic activists. And when we told them, they're not gonna vote for you. They, they said, oh yes, they will because we're the door knockers. We're the ones who get the people out to vote. We're Democrats and they're Democrats too, and I, I, we have to remind them, no, they were shocked. So listen, eyes are opening, things are going to change. Sometimes it changes slowly, but it will change because it has to. It was way back in 1975 
that, for example, the Supreme Court decided a case, Goss v. Lopez, where it was decided that education is a property right and that the students who had been dismissed from school without due process were denied their rights to education. So if education is a property right, folks, we need to begin to really fight in the courts. And since then, we've made some leaps and bounds in uh, certain decisions. Let me just read them real quick, uh, just because you know I am being fact-checked all the time. Um, Trinity v. Trinity Lutheran v. Comer in 2016. We, were, we worked on that one. Aha! See, you're already there. Where uh, religion, um, free, it was a freedom of religion case because grants were given to secular schools and not um, um, private schools and religious schools. Espinosa v. Montana in 2019, where funds were given to, again, secular schools because the public schools were not able to accommodate them, but not given to private schools. And then we had Carson v. McKinn. I mean, these are coming, and Democrats know it's coming. They've admitted to me that they know it's coming. It's just that they're trying to stall. And we're showing them to be hypocrites. And again, we've just got to keep fighting because our children need us because they cannot fight for themselves. Well, it is, I, in my opinion, a boulder rolling down the hill, and it's picking up steam. We've, we've got, I think, about 10 states that have already done it, yes. and I think Virginia is right there, and I, I believe one good election, and I think we'll, be, we'll get it done. But your quote that just floored me, and I, I, don't, I tweeted it. <laughs> I liked it so much. You said, the new red line in America are zip codes that are trapping children in failing school systems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that is profound and right on point. Oh, absolutely. And as I said, and as you said, elections have consequences. And if we don't get out and vote, uh, you know, it used to be nobody really bothered with school board elections. And that's just a school board, you know. And now we know school boards are important you see the filth that they're trying to teach our children. You see the books that when you open those books, folks, if anybody else had given those books to our children, we could have taken them to court. They'd have been locked up. But because it's in our schools and in our school libraries, it's okay. Doesn't make any sense. So the time has come for us to not be afraid to fight for our children to get out and offer ourselves as candidates for office, and if we don't, then to support that person who wants to run for office. If it's five bucks, give them five bucks. If you can afford more, heavens, give them five more. Make phone calls on their behalf, knock doors on their behalf, because you know the part about of the people, by the people, and for the people? Well, this is the technical term. Y'all are the people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Right? These are good people right here. In fact, we have a, we have a session on running for office. And we Very want good. everybody that the Lord calls or find somebody else to do it. But these school board races and these you know, local government races become more and more important. Um, we've run out of time and we could just, I would love to be here all day. But I'd love, tell us before we leave, how can we, how can we pray for you? 
Oh, pray for my staff, too. I have one of my staff here, Julian Condry, my chief. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting hits all the time uh, and lovely insults. But, you know, when, when the, the Lord said to Isaiah, who will go for us? Who will go for our children? Here I am. Send me. We are in the lion's den. We must answer the call. So pray for the people of God who want to do the right thing, not just me. Pray that we will have the strength, that we will be able to stand up under the withering, well, the, the withering insults and everything else. And some of, you know, uh, some of us have really been experiencing persecution, even from our own side, because they're not understanding that well, you know, uh, as long as you have that R next to your name, you're a target, and the unions will only support you until they can find somebody who can beat you. So you might as well just take the hit, and folks, sometimes you have to lose. We must fight anyway. We're not trying to keep seats warm. That's right. We win elections to take action. That's why we, we run. So, yes, just pray for your people. For such a time as this, Winsome Sears. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Women for America. To keep up with the work that we're doing, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and head to our website, concernedwomen.org.